Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders, healers, and change agents who give us their messages of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. And today we're talking to the psychology professor, poet, author, and really cool human, Dr. V. Are you ready to up your game, learn how to communicate your truth? Listen as this intergenerational connector and someone who brings healing to others but knows it starts at home first is here helping you get up and get going with your life and your dreams and goals. Someone who really got me when we met virtually and I couldn't wait to bring on here for all of you. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Dr. Valencia Sylvain Stinson, better known as Dr. V. Hey, I am so excited. We have done almost a year of podcasts and, you know, we met a lot of incredible people, but I have to honestly say you are the only one that made me put my pen to paper. And so that first poem, mm -hmm, that first poem that I sent you just about considering the imposter syndrome, all of us ended up writing something about that. And that was from that podcast with you. Oh, I got goosebumps. That's just, oh, thank you. I didn't know that. That's really incredible. Okay, so you're a professor of psychology, which everybody needs these days. I mean, absolutely. It's even my daughter's major, but also you work in women's ministries, which I just love. And there is an intersection. Absolutely. I believe so. Talk to me about that. Tell me about you with that. So I think that definitely I was chosen for that. I think that life and God chose me and it is by my journey. My tapestry has everything woven in it from divorce to rape to domestic violence and to child raising and PhD and writing. It's the Rubik's Cube. And so because of that, I really literally am able to, I haven't experienced every single thing that anybody has experienced, but I've experienced a lot of things. And because of that, that gives me enough empathy. I believe that God allowed me to just see those things so that I could be able to relate you to say, listen, I know what's on the other side of that darkness because I've been there. Or if I don't know, like I shared some things I wrote a couple of weeks ago, those events or feelings I had never, ever experienced before. And the incredible thing was like a day after I wrote that, someone called me and said, hey, listen, my daughter tried to kill herself. Can you talk with her? And I thought, dog. I just finished with my own, you know, with my journey. And it was so sometimes God allows me to go through it and then be able to look back and tell somebody about it. But sometimes it's right in the midst. And I have to say, yeah, I feel that too. Let's look it up. But between the training and your ministry, your faith, you're able to kind of pull that together. Yeah, I think that's amazing. So when you're teaching, do you pull your own experience with your students and do you share that or are you just straight from the book? How do you do that? I'm not straight anything. I can't imagine you being straight out of the book. (laughs) I have to honestly say probably one of the more eclectic humans that I know and that I really believe God allowed me to do everything. Like he allows me to take the creativity, to take the modeling, to take the art, to take music, to take poetry, to put it all in there. Because any way a person turns, I can say, listen, look right here. You're going to be able to do that. So between the poetry book 
So that's my writing. But sometimes I'll have them write. We took a group of students in one of my English classes, took all of their stories, Lauren, of all their stories of overcoming. We made a literal book out of it. It's called Heart Starters for School Scholars and for Student Scholars. They wrote everything. They devised a vocabulary plan. They devised self-help, how do you study plan, and their biographies and put it in a book. It's on Amazon right now. And so that was their therapy. Yeah. So everything, every single part of me, I'm asking God to use it. That's amazing. That's got to help the kids right now so much too, and give them so many tools also. Let them be little entrepreneurs, which is fabulous. That's amazing. I think they learn so much faster too. You have two daughters, how old they are, but you get to show them by example too. So 18 and 22, I am a master of project-based learning. That's one of my specialties. And you know, anytime you teach someone a set of values and a criteria, and then you allow them to work it out, then they're able to reproduce it, right? Absolutely. That's what I do in general as a teacher. Yeah, that's great. How long have you been teaching? 1,000 years. Actually, I have taught every single grade from K-5 to the doctoral program. Okay. So literally over 20 years. That's great. Your kids are about the same age as mine too. So I just love that. Yeah. And you were a single mom also. So yeah, this is why we've yeah. I got it. I Definitely. got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So you help people learn how to communicate their truth. Okay. And that must have come from you. I mean, the only way we get to do that is by learning how to communicate ourselves. So give us a little bit of your story. Let our listeners, let everybody learn who you are. So many stories. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a broad question. So how do you help people learn how to communicate your truth? Because that's something everybody always wants to know how to do. You know what? Definitely. Wherever point you decide that you are too heavy to move, that's a great indicator that you're carrying too much. And most of the time, it's not your own things. And it's that same process, Lauren, of when we're in kindergarten and they teach us how to separate and sort. And they say, this belongs here in this pile. These are green. This belong- These are red. This belongs in this pile. It's the same thing that we have to do with our emotions and those things that we are carrying that we begin to say, this is our, this is mine. This is not mine. This was mine and I'm getting rid of it. When you get to that point where you're too heavy, everybody reaches it. Everybody reaches when they feel like they just can't go anymore. I remember one day I came home, I went into a principal and I said, hey, listen, I'm not feeling well. I'm going home. And he said, "Okay, we'll get you a sub. That's what he said for tomorrow. I said, "Okay, you can get one for the next day, too. He said, well, when are you coming back? I said, I'm not sure. I'll let you know. And I went home and I laid on my mom's sofa and I cried for about two weeks, just literal huge ball and tears. And that probably was about three years ago. And I just wrote and I 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 wrote because I had to get the weight off and I had to and I slept and I wrote. So that was my way of communicating. So the short answer to how do you teach somebody how to communicate is first acknowledge that there's a weight or weights and be okay about it because sometimes we won't acknowledge them because they're attached to somebody else, right? Like some of the weight might seem like it's attached to my mom or my dad or my brother or my family. Or it's like, I don't want to say that, but you have to be able to put it in the right pile. It's not your weight. Right. So when it came to a point where I said, hey, listen, I know this is the story that our family subscribes to, but I'm not going to be able to tell it that way anymore. It affects me like this. Right. You can tell it that way if you want to. But if somebody asks me, I'm going to tell it like this. When I came to that point and began to separate the things a little bit, and then some of the things I had to separate for myself. Oh, B, you really did that. Oh, that's what you said about what you did? Oh, that wasn't right. 
you really didn't tell yourself the truth about that. So that was owning it, right? And then when you get to that part about, oh my God, Lauren, the things that other people have done to you, quote unquote, and we believe that that's the reason that we don't go any further, but it's not that they did it, it's how we process that they did it. Right, right, right. The victim, playing the victim when, yeah. the victim. And we may very well have gotten the brunt, but we still have a choice. So definitely, you know, pretty much a brown skinned girl in a good world, you know, went all the way through high school, went to college, got married once. That was a practice. So we let that go. And then I got married again. And actually the guy that I married the second time was at my first wedding. Hello. Say that for yourself. <laughs> Yeah. All right. And he was the brother of a great friend of mine, went through a couple of years. And right after the first baby, the abuse began. And so went from there to losing one baby, being thrown literally against the wall while I was pregnant, having another baby. So I ended up with two. And that last night that I was there, been over my mom's house, came home and he was like, where have you been? But I've been talking to you all day. Needless to say, I had the baby in one hand. I had never seen anybody move that fast before or hit that hard before. The baby flies in the air and my two-year-old catches her sister. And when you talk about the story and when she talks about it, this is, I always knew that we had the presence of angels, but when she talks about it, I had three angels. I gave one away, one's name, they're Michael, Gabriel, and Victress. So that particular night, the oldest baby said, mommy, I saw your angel standing between you and dad. And I saw his fist go through the angel. And then our big angel, my big angel is a girl. Her name is Victress. She said, and Victress held up her wings and she put them in front of us, mommy. So, you know, God was still present even in that. And he did not allow them to be scarred this way. And she knew just to hold on to her sister, mommy's going to be okay. But definitely from that incident, my throat was smashed in, my retina detached. It's quite a bit. I was never going to see straight. I was never going to sing again. All of the nevers. But God went home to my parents' house when I got out of the hospital and just healed for a year. Did you, the police get called and everything? Oh, definitely. We okay, I'm just checking. <laughs> Lauren, we awarded him that. Yes, we did. And very proudly so. I was excited about that. You know, it took me a long time to get to that point because during that journey of I'm going to make this family work. Yeah, out. no matter what. Yeah, family, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, I'm already divorced. I don't need to be divorced. He's a minister. Don't do it like that. You know, come on, V, you know, come on, hold up your end of the family. Had you already gotten your education? I already, let me see. I Were had, you in the uh, process of it? Oh, yeah. You had already been to college. I'd already been to college. And I already had my master's. So here you are, an educated woman. So educated. like, there's all the humiliation of like, yes. you should Nobody know better. Believe. All the stuff with, yeah. They couldn't believe it. Nobody could believe it. And because my demeanor is fun loving, you know, just positivity. Nobody could believe it. And I did a great job of hiding it. Of course. Very good job of hiding it. And I was primary breadwinner for us of, at that yep. point but still held hostage by my own desire to make sure that everything had, looks good, right? Everything yeah. looks good. It was a great quote unquote family. And I remember when I was getting divorced, I was at church one day and a young lady walked up to me and she said, baby, I'm fasting and praying for you and your husband. And I said, ma'am, you can go ahead and eat. You know, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I have a question. Did you go to therapy? 
oh my God, and so many kinds. Good. And did you talk about it? Did you talk about the fact you were going to therapy? I have talked to so many people in your part of the country. Maybe because I'm in LA, everybody goes to therapy. But I talked to people in your part of the country where it was quiet. Nobody talked about going to therapy. I I talked about it, but it still was, what are you doing that for? You can just, and I realize that as much of You know, my faith is important to me. My church was important to me. But in this particular situation, the church was integrally involved because of the ministry. Both of us were in ministry. And so I had to kind of relate, separate that and just say, I also need somebody that's trained in this thing. Because one of the things is church does not always want to or quite know how to minister to women that have been through this cycle. And so this is a good place for me. Like, that's why I say God will take it and use it. Because from that, I've been able to build a model that allows me when I see a woman that's walking that path and on that journey, I can say, hey, sis, let me sit with you because I know how to sit with you. And so needed. That's good. I've interviewed a pastor, Pastor Rod. He got his doctorate in Boston. Once he got out of the South or anything like that, he got an eye-opening. Anyway is really different and nobody wants to say it because they don't want to feel accusatory. But here's the thing. And this is the same thing that I say to anybody ministry wise, whether we want to feel this way or not, it's still here. It's still happening. And it's an opportunity for us to grow and grow God's kingdom. And so that's where I live right here, right? Like going to do that. So that's incredible. When did you get your doctorate? You just kept going to... Oh my God. Working, raising your two kids. So got out of it, lived with my parents for a while. Went one day to up to Fulton County because my sister, I say my sister in love, but she is married to my brother. So she was like, come up here and see me. She had a new job. And so when I went, the lady that was there, I said, I said, you know what God told me to come see you about a job? And really that's how I felt at that point. She was like, what are you to do. I was like, I don't know. What do you want me to do? Right. And literally that day she was like, well, okay, I'm going to, now this is a manager. I mean, well-known. She was like, okay, we're going to hire you as a temp. And so in the County and I'm watching all the people, I'm like, I love what she does. I love what she does. So I wrote the job description and I was so consistent. My manager's like, okay, that's what we're going to do. So they- You trained. manifested exactly what you wanted. Yeah. They trained me to be a corporate trainer. By this time, the girls are growing up. Met a very nice brown skin, tall, about six, two, wide shouldered young man that was at the county. We started dating and he challenged me one day. Actually, he was like, you know, I'm starting school. And I was like, oh, I should go to school too. I was really kidding. And he was like, but you got the babies and you get, you know, I was like, and but I said, I'm taking a class. And from there, I really just kept taking one more class until I realized I had all these classes. I'm like, Oh, I can get a PhD. And so that's how I ended up going. And by then they were, you know, two, three. And I just took them to class. We hired a teenager. Teenager went to class with me on the weekends. And the girls went everywhere. They were just like my buds. And yeah, they're mine. That's how I always looked at it. Yeah. So that's how we got the PhD. And a lot of family. I have a great garden. You know what I mean? You, yes. I know you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. Totally. Great garden. And I could not have done one thing without the garden because the whole time, you know, I have a poem called He's Still Hitting Me. And it really talked about how even after the divorce, you know, that abusive personality was still coming my way. So it was really challenging at that point. But when I look back on it, Lauren, it would not have been so challenging if I could have let go a little bit more. 
you know, I was still engaging a little mm-hmm. bit to say, no, don't do this to me. Don't do when I really could have just stepped aside and concentrated a little bit more on growing their business or doing this. So when I look back now, I spent a lot, a lot of time with the girls because I wanted to make sure that their heart, they went to therapy too. Good. All the way Good. through. And yeah. so I had them write and I had them record. So they also have a book. We have a book called The Leaning Tree. It's not quite done, but in The Leaning Ooh, great Tree. Great, Tave. That is such a good title. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So the way the book works is this side is my story and you flip it over and the other side is the girl's story. Yeah. So they got a chance to tell their truth and to say to other young ladies, hey, this is how I went through this. And you don't even have to go through this as a young human like this. Like this is what I did or this is how I grew through it. But this is an option over here. So I thought that was really neat. Yes. And I love how you, no matter what, you keep putting one foot in front of the other. It creates the energy. No matter how hard it is, no matter what we're going through, we just keep going. Okay. You started all of this off by talking about imposter syndrome. I want to know what you discovered and for you. Oh, what did I discover? What resonated with imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome for anybody who doesn't know what it is, it's when you feel like a fake or a fraud and you're going to get found out. Maybe you got some job and you're like, oh my God, now they're going to find out I don't know how to do it or, you know, I shouldn't have gotten it. Yes, you should have gotten that job. You got it for a reason. You're going to kill it and you're going to be great. Or for me, I probably talked about when I'd been in, I was in court and I'd been practicing probably 10 years at that point. And I was like, oh my God, look at all these people. They think I'm a lawyer and I am a lawyer. I was walking around and I was like, you know, are these kids calling me mom? (laughs) Like like I have everyone (laughs) fooled. Like I am their mom. And, you know, I'm always like so shocked that I get anything done. People were talking about perfectionism and people are like, quit being a, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm always so amazed that I accomplish anything. I'm like so scared. I I won't be able to, that I've never been a perfectionist. And they say that's perfectionism and procrastination are two sides of the same coin that some people won't even attempt something because they want to do it perfectly. So they procrastinate because they want to do it perfectly. And I just found that fascinating personally. So it is. Yeah, I don't have the perfectionism thing, so, but I can procrastinate, don't get me wrong, but, you know, I don't have to do it perfectly. I just want to get it done. However, I can get it done. But that's what imposter syndrome is, is you think you're a fake or a fraud. And if you have that, you're amongst very high-performing people, because I've got on the 52 Weeks of Hope on the website.com, there's a quiz, which you don't need a quiz, but it's kind of fun if you want to take it. And Maya Angelou used to talk about it when she was alive, or Michelle Obama talks freely about it. Meryl Streep, she's like, no matter what role she got, she'd say, oh, now they're going to find out. I don't know how to act. And like very high performing women speak freely and openly about it. So yeah, it's really something. And for your further fascination, every attribute has a coin, has the other side of the coin attribute. So stubbornness is perseverance. So there's a list. Each one has that other side. Those two I could see. I find that so fascinating. But and the way I used it as I was growing was when I would see something in a kid or I see something in myself. I'm like, okay, Lord, show me the other side because that's the side I'm trying to get to. I have one kid that is so persevering. One of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, she, when she was a little on the other side of the coin, it's like, I'm just not doing it. She wasn't eating it. She wasn't putting it on. She wasn't, you know. All yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I really had to learn. I really had to tap into that anyway in order to, for everybody to be good and alive. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so for me, the imposter syndrome, so 
the magnitude of the ideas would be so to the left. And then I might attempt them, but I didn't even attempt them as large as I thought them, right? Yes, I got it. Yeah. Right. So then I'm saying, well, dang, now somebody is good. I remember one time God gave me a book title and I refused to write the book because it seemed so weird. And then about three years later, I saw the book on the shelf because, you know, he has to have yeah, yeah. an idea to be done. It has to, whatever he's pushing through you. And so it just dawned on me that this time where I'm not sure of who I am, because if I was sure enough, I would do it at the magnitude that I saw it. Right. Yeah. I would do it. I probably did greeting cards before there was ever like by hand and with the ribbons and, you know, before there was one brown skin greeting card company ever. And I got this huge contract and didn't have enough operating money. And because I didn't see it, I let that go. And then about three years later, you know, we got a whole line of cards that were just, you know, they were on the shelf. I was like, you gave me that guy. You showed me. So that imposter part for me comes in me not quite believing it and then being mad. Yeah. But I was taught, think big. Do you see it? And then think big. Whatever it is you want to manifest, think even bigger. Think big. Right. Because I was taught that part too. So listen, so this part that I showed, it was big. But the part that I had in my head was bigger. Which is great. It's crazy. So I wasn't doing that or either... Part of the imposter part for me was I could have idea, but maybe not be able to verbalize it as technically or as quote unquote business savvy as it should be verbalized. And so I would see it and then think, I must not really know that. That's the imposter part. I did know it. I just needed to find the research part that would go with it. And so that's the imposter part, too, to say that I have this great big idea. I know it can work, but I don't have the evidence and I don't know how to communicate. So like when I'm talking to my brother, one of my brothers is a graphic artist. And so now when I have it, I'll go and spill it. And then he'll say, oh, let me write that code. Oh, you can do that on that. Oh, that's how that works. I was like, man, wish you had been bigger 10 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wish you had been older. (laughs) So how do you bring healing to others because I know it's the always like, okay, we take care of ourselves first, but then we take care of the others. So how are you able to bring your message to others now? I guess you're doing it on the podcast too with Finch. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. So with Off the Fence with Finch, it was really, we started out, we just kept going, kept going, kept going. And so by the time we saw you, it had been a year. And the thing that happened, I told him that podcast saved my life. It literally saved my life because... I was at that crossroads time and I, you know, I'm still, the roads are not as crossed as they were, but I'm still growing. But I was definitely at that crossroads time and the platform had me to look at myself as a human, as a subject content expert, as a mom. Like I really had to kind of look into myself a little bit more because sometimes talking, I'm answering the question and that's strictly from data. I understand those things, but sometimes it's one shot and I'm like, that looks like a rhinoceros with one, you know, two horns, yeah, I don't yeah, know, yeah. whatever. So if your feeling comes out and it allowed me to really look at it. So if you talk about healing, all the things are happening at once for me, Lauren, and I don't know if 
that's a popular thing to say, but it's a real thing to say. You don't have to be popular. Just be real. Go ahead and say whatever it is. The real thing is like what I shared with you. That was a real week. It was a real two weeks where every time I picked up the phone, I was crying, not like a little cry, not even wanting to get up, not even or just thinking I have all of these things on top. I can't get out of this. I'm not going to be able to get out of the things that are pressing me. And besides that, I am 1,000 years old and I should be right here by now. And I'm right here. And I don't understand these people that don't understand that I'm right here. And I want to be right here. All of those things were running through my head and smashing me in the face. And so... I had to cry it out. I had to write it out. I had to pray it out. I had to do all those things. But that was probably the first time other than the time I came and sat on the sofa that I said, I'm just not doing I'm going to just sit right here till I can get right. Because I wasn't brought up. I'm the oldest child, the oldest cousin, the sister, big sister. I wasn't brought up to say, V, stop and take care of yourself. I was brought up to be a leader. I was brought up to lead. So now. I'm learning how to say that same thing. This is what I did. Like, so I'm very candid. I was very candid, even with the women's ministry, with the ladies. I'm like, look, you can read this. This is how I felt. And then because the danger is somebody, she can't help me. She just is. <laughs> and that's the imposter part, right? That you say. But right. if we can't be vulnerable and be ourselves, I mean, everybody goes through it. Nobody goes right. through life unscathed. If you can't be yourself, then I mean, it's because you're yourself, your own great self that everyone connects to you. That's what's so great. Right. That was my takeaway. I really don't care. That's a good thing about getting older. That is one thing great about getting older. I don't care either. It's like, this is me. This is it. <laughs> like, I don't care. And because I knew it was so real, Lauren, when I say those, that writing was so heavy and mm-hmm. so real and the time was so real, I cannot even say to you how thought provoking that is to say that I was thinking that detail like I got a hundred thousand dollars they both get fifty thousand oh I can't I know I got it has to be in the car it has to be outside all those crazy how would you think through that because it was just so graphic but to be right there when this next lady next to me says you know what I'm not feeling too good or I don't see then that makes me stop my journey makes me stop so the healing part is that because I've been there I know where the stops are. Mm -hmm. And it passes. This is the other thing. Like, who knew? When you're in it, you think you're in it for the rest of your life. But in 10 minutes, it could pass. You don't know. Like, the deepest, darkest despair doesn't go 24 hours a day. That's the part when you're in it, you don't know that. Like, it really doesn't. Like, you were on your parents' couch for two weeks, but you weren't in a fetal position for two weeks. Right. You didn't feel well and you did what you needed to do to get better. And I've been there. I mean, it's how my podcast came about. And what I've learned is we aren't meant to isolate. We are meant to be amongst others and to be there for each other. The other thing is we're not all in it at the same time. We're not all in it at the same time. And I was so amazed by the people that reached into the darkness. And so one of the things that I will say to a lady as far as healing right now is that allow me to reach into the darkness. Please allow me, you know, because that is a skill set in and of itself. And we have to begin to say that, normalize it when the babies are little. 
to say, Mm -hmm. let me help. Not let me do it for you. Not let me cripple you, but let me help when you don't see this thing straight. And share. Talk about it. Don't keep it in. Talk about it. You got to talk about whatever's going on. Definitely. Because everybody goes through it. And this is such an isolating time still. And it was an isolating time before COVID, before all of this. People were getting really isolated. So I think it's important that we all talk. That's where the poetry comes in too. Yeah. And your so poetry is beautiful. Oh Thank my gosh. You. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. That's what poetry therapy does. So because it's non-invasive, I can see it. Like I can see what you're going through. I can say the poem to you and I can see on your face when you're traveling through. Right. And then we're able to, well, how do you feel about the poem? Did you like the poem? Oh yeah. You didn't like it for real. Did you like it? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I felt about, oh, tell me about that part. Because inevitably those parts are your parts or my part. And when they're able to talk about the part, they're able to talk about the relatability. I read something the other day that says most people cannot go in a 10 minute conversation and not talk about something that is relatable. So if you say something, I'm going to say something that is relatable. So now let's flip that when you talk about poetry therapy, because whatever is on the docket right here is what the person is going to relate to and then be able to share that part because of what they heard or what they read. Oh yeah. Poetry therapy. That's something. Do you have a message of hope you want to give? So keep on doing it. Bills don't kill you. Not even marriages, not broken things. None of those kill you, but losing hope that will allow you to die. So keep on doing it. And when it seems the hardest, keep on doing it. When it seems like there's nothing else left. One of the things that God allowed me to see in that time, that dark time is I asked him, I'm like, I can't get out. I need you. And he said, just do one good thing. Like literally, that's what he said to me. And so that next day, one of my friend guys called me. He said, hey, listen, he said, I'm going to be awarded this thing on Monday. Now it was Friday. I'm going to be awarded this thing on Monday. He had no idea what was going on. And I said, okay. He said, I want you to come. And I said, now God had just said, do one good thing. So I said, okay. So he was my one good thing. And that was Friday. So that meant Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I had to engage because Monday was when I committed to do the one good thing. And then the next day, it was something else, one good thing. And then I thought, well, the girls, they're in school. I promised to help them get out of college. That's my one good thing. So every day as I'm doing my one good thing, some more weight falls off. Some other lesson comes. Some other opportunity comes because that one good thing where I'm reaching out allows me to pull in. Does that make sense? It uh, totally makes sense. It's the energy. Again, you're creating energy. So one good thing. So that's it. Keep hoping and do one good thing. Yeah, I love that. I get goosebumps so many times. I love it. Yeah, you started this with the too heavy to move. So, okay, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wish I had asked you? And we're going to be off and you're like, oh, she didn't ask me about this. That you wish that you want to say? I want to talk about depositing, depositing generational wealth. I want to make sure that we, Lauren, concentrate, get in our heads what wealth is, not money, but intergenerational wealth. And that was also part of the journey for me is talking to my mom. She's 82. And talking to my daughters, they're 22 and 19. And it was just laying it on the table and say, listen, this is how I'm feeling. I feel like I should be here and I'm really here and I don't know what to do and I don't know what you need, but I know I feel like I'm supposed to. So on the table, 
they laid the wealth of assurance. They laid the wealth of love. And then the girls laid the wealth of, Ma, you did a good job. Come on, we got this. You do what you're doing so you can get to this next thing so we can see that and then we can get to this next thing, right? So generational wealth that we need everybody around us to the right and to the left because that's what's going to help us to keep growing. So somebody that's older than me, they're not old and outdated. They're wise, right? And somebody that's younger than me, they are not precarious and thoughtless. No, they're so much more advanced than us. Oh my gosh. And brave. Yeah. And courageous. And, you know, to keep hoping and remember that we have to continue every day to intentionally create generational wealth. Oh, I just love that. I so appreciate you. And I had that as part of like the intro too. Yes. I I did. I'm so glad you added that. When I first started interviewing for 52 Weeks of Hope, I only interviewed the older demographic asking like, what have you gleaned from learning living life? What can you teach me? It was my soul search. I got it. And the number one thing they were telling me was you young people, which I like being called a young person, you young people need to put down your phones and connect. I love it. And my daughter told me that a couple of weeks ago, she was writing me, she's in college and she said, mom, I'm so glad you taught me that people were my most valuable resource. She was telling me about something she was doing and like, mom, this happened. And I said, Oh, I remember you from Sutton LA. was like, really? You know, so she, they're just as dramatic. And they just always tell me about how the oldest one is doing her internship and just how she relates to the teacher. And the youngest one is doing financial literacy for her college and how she's met so many people and have been able to connect the students to millionaires, to people that, you Uh know, but it's because of building relationships. They still have the hopefulness that you're talking about. and, And Lauren, I guess glad that, I just still feel like there's a purpose and that I just got to keep hoping and keep moving so that I can be all he wants me to be. Somebody is waiting on it. I just have to keep my eye on that prize. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a guest today. I'm 52 Weeks of Hope. Yes, I loved it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being who you are. You have a beautiful platform, a beautiful spirit, and it's so relevant and so helpful. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I want a t-shirt too. Oh yeah, definitely. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Dr. V's messages of perseverance, vision, and faith. Such great messages to take into your week ahead. Be sure to tune in next week for another amazing, uplifting episode. It's all about overcoming challenges and how to take that next step and create the life that you really want to lead. How to be your best and most authentic self. There's a whole lot on how to be confident and walk through imposter syndrome. A lot of what Dr. V talked about right now. It's really great. You're going to love it. It's an empowering episode and one that definitely helps you keep going and walk through your fears. If you want to reach me or send a message to me, just DM or just go to the website at 52weeksofhope.com. That's the easiest way to reach me or just send a message at 66866. You can text that 66866 and text 52 hope the number 52 at 66866 if you're enjoying the podcast share the love tell two of your friends i'm lauren abrams thanks for listening